what I love is like being in the back room and coaching at meets and like fighting with people and pushing people and watching day to day and making little adjustments and, you know, tweaks versus like sitting there on Sunday night writing God knows how many programs. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's show, I am joined by two guys who live and breathe weightlifting, Max Ada and Joshua Gibson. I want to just start by reading a quick quote from Josh's Instagram, and I think this just really sums both of them up. It says, don't fake being passionate about something because one day you'll meet someone who is truly passionate and they'll fucking embarrass you. So Max and Josh have been involved in the sport for a really long time. Both of them have put out a bunch of excellent content. Max, a bunch of eBooks with his work at Juggernaut. Josh has been the host of the Philosophical Weightlifting Podcast for the last five years. He's gone super deep on the science behind weightlifting. I told them when uh, we were talking about doing the show, I'm not as interested in the science and the sets and reps behind the sport. I'm more interested in the people the journeys to the platform that's kind of what my forte is but they are here to talk about weightlifting ai a new program that they're both a part of as coaches they are trying to change the sport of weightlifting forever and i think through this program they're going to be able to get a lot more people in the door which is always a good thing whether it's through crossfit whether it's people who have never picked up a barbell in their life the more people with a barbell in their hand is always a good thing so we go deep into weightlifting AI. We also talk about Max's journey through the sport, how he's seen content evolve weightlifting, and what they both plan on doing in the future to keep growing this thing. So I hope you guys enjoy this one, and let's send it there now. Little intro about you guys. Um, Max, I feel like you got into weightlifting before weightlifting was cool, and, and Josh, you you as well, maybe a little bit later than Max, but... Uh, uh how do you guys find this niche sport and you know how how has it grown the last 20 something years that you've been involved you want to go first well i think you're the, the veteran so i think you should go first My, so i got into weightlifting when i was when i was a little kid like you know six years old i always wanted to be really strong so it was a huge deal to me to like see how much weight i could lift or you know try to lift you know the most weight of all my friends and uh at 12 years old i saw the 1996 olympics the highlight from atlanta was naim sulaimanalu's like third attempt clean and jerk which you know got him his third gold medal and uh i remember that one image like burned in my memory forever was like that is like a probably a three second long clip of him making the jerk and uh yeah it was just like that was i saw that and I'm like that's what i've got to be as a weightlifter and so i just kind of started training and and you know started lifting weights and my like little like plastic and sand weights and this and that and then found uh found some information like uh i want to say a few years later i bought like a weighting encyclopedia from marty dressler read that did a lot of that stuff taught myself how to snatch and clean and jerk from pictures in in the book and then eventually found, you know, found a coach, 
like right around high school. Uh, and he was my coach basically through till you know, pretty much to the end until I met Abajayev and trained with the Bulgarians. But uh, yeah, that was kind of my intro. It was just like, I, I knew I wanted to be strong. And then I saw the, saw it on TV and, you know, pursued it. Is there any weightlifting meets at that point? Like, what do you do to compete? Do you, how do you find stuff? So, there, so to become an official USAW member, this is kind of a funny story. Uh, I went online and you know, I think it was a modem. I went online with like a 56K modem and I, I looked up USAW's website to find who the coach was in Montana and uh, a club or who, what club there was. There was one club and it was a guy named Brett Tudsbury, who was the Montana Strength University strength coach. And he ran a club and uh, it was kind of a coincidence, but I I found his address was in the, the thing like where you could send him stuff. I called him up. His address was on the same street as mine. It was like maybe like three blocks away from where I lived. And so I called him. I was like, hey, I want to be a waiter. I want to you know, join the, the club here. And he's like, yeah, cool. He's like, where do you live? And I was like, well, I live you know, right down the street. He's like, oh, why don't you come over on Saturday? And uh, yeah, we can talk about it. And so I went over on Saturday and I showed up and he you know, talked to me for a few minutes. And then he's like, well, so I got this giant pile of gravel that they dropped off from my landscaping. It's in the driveway. You mind? Uh, you know, this is this is your first test. And uh, he made me like shovel this monstrous pile of gravel into a wheelbarrow and carry it to his backyard and dump it out. And like, it was it was funny. I, mean, I didn't mind working, but uh, it was kind of funny. Like he just just was like saw an opportunity and did it and introduced me later to a guy named Justin Braun who ran the club at the university and they would put on meets. Back then, I don't know if it's the same now, but back then the rules were that you had to have at least six USAW members competing in the meet. And we had like six people in the entire group and it would include like judges, uh, like there was me and maybe two other kids lifting. And then like there was judges and the coach. And so what happened is to make it six people, the judges were entered in the meet <laughs> and they would go up and, you know, do a lift on the platform to make it an official competition. Uh, but that's how like, that's how bare bones it was back then. But there was, there was meets all the time. I mean, you know, not, not a lot in Montana, uh, maybe like two a year, if even one a year and really small. How about you, Josh? Yeah, so I think I have a more relatable story uh, just because I got in weightlifting probably like seven years ago. So it was after watching Cal Strength YouTube videos, like watching Donnie Schenkel is bigger than you, uh, watching, you know, John North and his antics and then just just being interested in kind of exploring that space. Um, so what I was doing at the time is I was doing more powerlifting training just in a, a commercial gym. And I remember I wanted to warm up for my squats. So I grabbed one of the short uh, curl bars, put a metal 25 on each side, stood in front of a mirror and just started snatching, like contacting off my thighs. Wow. And I remember looking, yeah, I remember looking like down. Like an my, easy curl bar? Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> and uh, I remember looking down at my thighs and there were bruises everywhere. And I'm like, all right, so this is the contact they're talking about. And some guy walks up to me, one of the trainers at the gym. And he's like, hey, could you step away from the mirror? Like, that's incredibly dangerous. And I was like, I was so offended by that. It's like, I'm, I know exactly what I'm doing. Like I'm practicing well, hold on. snatch so perfectly. The guy who's doing snatches with an easy curl bar, <laughs> despite watching videos of weightlifters not doing that ever, 
you're convinced you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> it's the Dunning Kruger effect. Nice. I was supremely confident. And then um I just honestly I started watching the the Glenn Penlay like teaching progression where it's like jump and catch, this position, jump and catch. Uh just started I like grabbed a power bar off uh, a bench press just started snatching and and eventually a few months later I found uh my first coach Chelsea Chelsea Kyle out of Columbus weightlifting which is now project lift uh worked with her for six months and then uh just because of my personality I'm always interested in figuring things out for myself and exploring it like in, in as much depth as possible so I really just went on a deep dive into weightlifting kind of changed my my professional career path um got a bachelor's in exercise science um, and then a master's in sports science and then kind of find myself here with Max uh, just helping him work on more weightlifting content. What were you doing beforehand like in school? Um, I I was in school initially for athletic training because it just like sounded cool and then I dropped out like a year and a half into it uh, took a bit of a you know sabbatical like a hiatus and then um, I started really getting into uh, some some stuff like from Martin Luther King Jr. Like some of like one of his autobiographies is like really good. Um, and he, he started talking about having a degree in philosophy. And to me, that word had no meaning. I was like, what's philosophy? That doesn't make sense. Like I've never heard of it before. So I started to explore that. And I remember I would go to the, the local community college, uh, their library and just grab philosophy books and read through them. Uh, so before Stoicism was popular, I was reading Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and uh, Lucretius and all those guys. And uh, that kind of like helped me develop a worldview and path forward. And then I, I just like went down the rabbit hole again. And and now like my, my one of my degrees, a minor in uh, psychology, and that's like one of my interests, right? So the podcast is philosophical weightlifting just because of like the way that all kind of like aggregated together. That's really interesting. That it's a unique combination, but I feel like it's um like practical. It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I I do recommend people listen to your podcast. I've listened to a bunch of episodes. Um the one with Jim Rudder was my favorite. I told J Jim was a former coach of mine, so he's nice. he's been an awesome mentor. Yeah, do you feel like and this is one thing I've wondered when you were training under Jim, did you ever uh, understand his programming as well as when you heard him explain it on the podcast? No, because I had Jim right when I got into weightlifting. I was like, a, I did CrossFit, but I was a very beginner at that stage. And um, I don't know. I feel like Jim now, the, the programming is almost secondhand. Jim is extremely... I don't know how to say it. he's very good at motivating people i think that's like one of his gifts is is the programming and we'll talk about how you guys program a little bit later but i think that's kind of secondary to how jim can motivate people like he he just knows that one-liner to say to you and you usually yeah. end up making a lift so he he's got that to where he can just come up to you and say something randomly and you'll you'll get in your car two hours later and be like oh i know what he was doing there that's that's Jim in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Nice. I think the the headline for this episode should be "This podcast is an important podcast." <laughs> I don't know if that that's how the world works right now. I feel like if I put Andrew Tate in the title, then it might do better. Andrew Tate, Liver King. It's it's getting wild out there. Primal tenets, yeah.
Yeah, well, I mean, as far as weightlifting content goes, like Max, you've been able to see see the whole ride as far as Cal strength and and it. I watch a video of you today uh, missing a three hundred and two back squat and then throwing the rack. That was really funny um, on YouTube. But but you've kind of been there from the beginning to see how content has changed weightlifting, at least from the American sense. Um, do you like what's your opinion on how far it's come since then? I mean, it's so content in weightlifting, like there's there's kind of these different different converging factors that have all kind of hit at the same time. Like like there's this there's this thing that I think people people get to a point where there's a lot of success or a big growth in something. And the question is like some people will be like, oh, that's because of what we did. We had this growth and they may miss the fact that there was a giant wave carrying them up that way. So like a great example would be like, if you, you know, were the kind of person who like posted pictures online and then all of a sudden, you know, Instagram comes along and you happen to be one of the first users, like, and you grow this massive following it, you know, the, the, the belief might be that, oh, I'm the one who's responsible for the success yeah. versus the fact that no, now Instagram exists and there's this massive platform. And so weightlifting content has definitely followed in suit with that in that before I remember looking at, you guys probably wouldn't remember these names, like Ben Overcamp used to have like videos he would upload and they'd be on a website and you'd go to this website and there'd be like 12 videos from, you know, the whatever 2001 national championships or something and like six different lifts or something and uh you know it was like a little bit of an archive and that was like pre-youtube days and then youtube started to really grow into something and you started to see people putting content of weightlifting up just from the perspective of like videos of lifting happening mm -hmm. glenn penlay at cal strength was probably the 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 first guy that was really, he wasn't the first guy to video lifts and narrate it. That had been happening for decades before him, but he was the first guy to sort of put together more live video or like very current lifting, you know, and, and put it on the internet and people could access it and YouTube and live streaming and all these different little things were popping up. And it kind of became this thing of like, people would watch the heavy Friday practice or some practice um, and that kind of drove a lot of the content was just like, oh, show people lifting, do it. And then people kind of personalities, everyone gets in front of a camera, things start to change and it starts to become this spectacle. And, you know, just like YouTube, right? Like it just becomes this thing where the more wild or the more big it is personality wise or lift wise, like it starts to get more attention. But in those days, there was very little like there was no understanding of like a YouTube algorithm. There wasn't like monetized or anything. It was just like people were putting videos up. Glenn was doing live streams of things and you know, they'd be like, Hey, there's like 300 people watching this. or there's 200 people watching this. And then as time went on beyond that, like multiple, you know, I'd say that was probably like early 2010, 11, 12, you know, Glenn moved to muscle driver at some point that kind of started to do this. He did the same thing there. Dave continued doing what Glenn was doing, just kind of, you know, same routine. Uh, and some other people would start putting stuff up. And, but for the most part, it was a lot of just like showcasing lifting. There would be some instructional stuff very rarely, but there was no like 
there was no industry that allowed you to make money putting up instructional videos of lifting or content that was helpful to people learning anything. For one, because this is very true, no one was organized enough to do that. No one, like back in that day, anyone who knew how to write a training program or explain training in a process that was like easily understood by, by a lay person didn't exist. Glenn couldn't do it. You know, he, Glenn had a system and a, and a thing, but he wasn't like able to sit there and, you know, rattle off a video on how to write a program. Mm. You know, he would give you like broad sweeping suggestions. Uh, I'm sure there were people that understood, but it wasn't like a thing on the internet. And there was very little like technique, training, coaching cues and videos and, and content. Greg Everett kind of came around and started to do a lot more of that stuff and put out articles and a performance menu and all this other stuff that started to grow. And that became a much more informational source. And then, you know, once that started to grow and Greg became really big through CrossFit, CrossFit really carried his momentum far because he was initially very early in. Um, you started to see a lot more of that stuff popping up. YouTube became a source for people to put educational videos up talk about things, explain stuff, videos and, and content and stuff really started to hone in on like giving people something they could do that was actionable, not just watching entertainment. And, you know, even me through Juggernaut in 2016, all the way through, you know, last year, like there was a lot of content that came out that was directed at, you know, information, education, you know, this kind of stuff, program design, doing, you know, technique. And then, uh, now what i think you see is this this sort of change to like a a uh consolidation of the same information and it gets recycled mm. so you basically have like a lot of that information came out it all really kind of exploded onto the scene new videos and new topics talking about programming or technique or this and that became a big thing and now that's consolidated into like the same kind of information recycled again and again and again. Um, there's no, it doesn't feel like there are any more are discussions about the differences between things. People acknowledge that there's different strategies or different things. It's much more about like personalized or, or branded sort of things that they design. Here's my program. Here's this, here's that, you know, there's obviously the people out there that are just grabbing on, latching on to whatever the most exciting new thing is and throwing that in your, you know, in the feed, you know, velocity based training or, you know, whatever, whatever thing, right. You know, uh, post activation potentiation stuff is just like, Hey, here's an idea, yeah. jump on this big splash. And then the next thing will come around in six months or a year. But I think it's very much consolidated to the point where like, there's a lot of knowledge and stuff out there and it's, kind of well accepted no one's really producing like a new new exciting ways of seeing weightlifting or delivering weightlifting stuff compared to where it was you know kind of 15 years ago 10 years ago yeah as far as content goes like i when i was first getting into weightlifting it was all technique based i was trying to find you know i did all the catalyst videos start position um bar oh. looping out basically anything you want to type in just type in catalyst athletics and the problem that you're having but i think now it's shifting more towards like what you guys are do what weightlifting house is doing as far as like back room at competition seeing how people are training um i mean what basically what cal strength was doing like getting an insight into and american weightlifting especially like the 
the amount of high level athletes there are like people want to see what they're doing in training not just the six lifts they take on the platform so i mean there's only a couple of companies doing that like who are doing it well you know you have hook grip weightlifting house but there's not a ton who have been able to to hit that formula yes yeah, it's, it's interesting because like i would say weightlifting house is the only company that actually has like the their sites set on behaving in a way like a sports broadcasting company does hook grip and all things gym are like instrumental in that but you know and what they provide is the instant short clip you know mm. one single lift on the competition platform or one training hall lift but there's no there's nothing external to that so they're not telling a story they're not doing anything beyond displaying factual stuff what happened right they may have a little commentary or something on the the caption but um seb's vision i think with waiting house is very much more in line with showcase the entire sport try to capture some of the external things the personalities the characters involved like like you would see in any other sport right um, or what you see in like ufc is a good example where you follow along the story of somebody you know there's a backstory there's like there's actual footage of them doing things in their life and the b-roll and stuff and that you know is kind of the goal of of what i think waving house is doing is trying to bring the sport to people so they can understand it even if they've never done a lift or have no intention of ever doing a lift um yes yeah, obviously like that's that i think is the next sort of quote-unquote frontier of the content way of thing is that it will be very much purely about the sport and the characters and the people much like it was before but done in a, you know, in a more professional, more calculated way. Whereas before it was like, Hey, here's Donnie Shankle and John North doing giant lifts. Yeah. Right. Now you're going to see, Hey, here's like them hanging out outside of the gym and their style, their story, their life, like the things that go on, right. All packaged in a way that it actually makes, makes the sport appealing to regular folks. Well, and on top of that, you have, you have such a, a deeper look at the athletes, but you also get, um, this comprehensive uh, view of the sport for coaches and for athletes and for the fans, right? So like Weightlifting House is really the only company that's allowing all aspects of the sport to be showcased in a way that like promotes it and then supports it by putting in good new information. Um, so we're kind of working, uh, you know, on creating content for like the coaches education stuff and the athlete education stuff. And then Seb and, and that team, they're doing a lot of the filming, they're doing commentary, right? So it's like a very comprehensive approach to uh, developing the sport versus say like a hook grip that is always just going to be videos or short clips. Because what they're trying to do, I think, is just exploit what they've been doing in a way that like is a little better each time. Yeah. So maybe hook grip had entire training sessions and then it's like an entire string of lifts up to a top lift. And then it's like a 15 second video. And then it's just like this short, fast paced clip of Lasha hitting a, a world record and then it's slow mode, right? So like the evolution of that is granular. Um, that's kind of like all things gym. And then you have other like coach education businesses that do that, you know, completely separately. So I think weightlifting house is really filling this like interesting spot in the sport where they can be uh, all providing which i think is really cool mm -hmm. yeah so something seb does that i think is kind of cool of lifting house is like the the like history videos and the like sort of progression you know like was the one he did like progression of the snatch world record yeah um that kind of stuff is interesting because it's very like it's 
a lot of that's going to disappear. A lot of that, like yeah. the history and the stories and stuff people remember, like as these people pass away, like if no one carries that on, it's kind of unfortunate because there's some very interesting stuff that, you know, the evolution of the sport and people that have experienced it and witnessed it, that's a cool story to share. So I, I think that's awesome. They're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the showcase videos he did on uh Piros, uh, he did Piros and who else? Nime and, uh, um, he did a bunch of them, but yeah, they're always super well done. And yeah, like people like me who got into the sport a little bit late, I had no idea about those. You you see Piros now and you're like, there's no way this guy was good at weightlifting. <laughs> like you, you just see him walking around and it's like, this is the greatest weightlifter of all time. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, sure. it's interesting. Uh, do you think it's maybe because it, like as far as USA weightlifting content goes, there's not enough rivalries or there's not enough people at the top level? Like you see the A session at nationals and there's usually two or three people who are just way above everybody. So it, like you can't create that UFC type content where it's a rivalry, you know, maybe like as far as CJ Harrison would would do that but there's not as far as people who are a, a lot lower in the a session like you you can't really create those rivalries as much as you know hand-to-hand -hand combat uh i think you can i think it's just it's the way it's done right um i mean it's also like the rivalries don't necessarily have to be like as as direct as like okay kate versus maddie right like that's a fantastic rivalry like the, like the the, the build-up to the last olympics and the whole process between kate and and maddie was really cool if you knew what was going on mm. but no one showed any of it and so the rivalry was just like that whole thing was lost i'm sure to some degree there's a bit of like you know clever <laughs> clever editing to make things appear more dramatic than they are um, which is fine if it grows the sport, right? I mean, the end result is like, I mean, as long as you're not lying, I think if you, you know, if you showcase the dramatic nature of like a maid lift or a missed lift, when the reality is like maybe your Roby points don't have that big a deal on it. Um, that could have been, that could have been really exemplified or, or finding those rivalries in people that are not necessarily at the top, right? Like the thing that might attract people into the sport more is the fact that there are people that are you know, everyday folks doing it and, you know, showcasing the somebody, you know, basically training their way to an American Open series or finals and, you know, the, the struggle of doing that and what it's like to go and compete and have to beat yourself. Like those things are definitely stories that people have a lot of interest in. Um, not every story at the Olympics is between two rivals, right. right? A lot of times it's between the person and some crazy adversity or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, so I think like I think it does exist. I think the more you grow it, the more it will exist and and become real. Like the more you showcase the fact that there are people fighting back and forth, or teams fighting back and forth, or coaches fighting back and forth. Like the more you show that the sport is very competitive, the more people will get into it because they see the competitiveness of it. Right? They want to be part of that. They want to do this this whole thing. You think about like how many people someone like Rich Froning or Matt Fraser brought into CrossFit. Mm. Like I would have to believe that the same thing would happen here in weightlifting if you showcased it the right way, you know? Yeah, I think what that, to me, what that looks like is just being more intentional with how you construct meets, 
get get people competing against each other. So like uh, Max has used the UFC example, and they'll often bring people into the ring or the octagon after after you know someone wins the belt, right? And they'll have them go back and forth a little bit, or in the back room after after a fight. Um, Leon Edwards and uh, Jorge Masvidal got into a brawl because they like had them paired up and they were giving an interview, right? So I think it's being intentional with like who who is where and and yeah. how they're interacting and like how you pair them together. So I think, and that's one thing that I think we've talked about with USA Weightlifting is they don't do the best job of like using media to showcase the sport or the back room. They just have like a bunch of different companies or cameramen kind of following people around. So I think if you create more congruity with like who's filming how they're filming and then how that information is like kicked out to people who want to watch it i think you can kind of like pump things up a bit more but it just it's being more intentional knowing what people want or, or why they want to see it and then like giving them that basically yeah i kind of believe that i believe that in at the base level nothing is interesting like no sport is actually interesting right yeah it, because like i mean think of a sport like golf like I, you know, some people can't watch it; they'll fall asleep, right? Yet it's it's massively popular. Yeah. Something like tennis or badminton, or you know, there's there's an, any number of sports you can find something that's just excruciatingly boring. But you can always kind of get behind a story that's interesting, right? Like somebody struggling to do something, or some kind of you know battle. It can be it can be presented in a way that is captivating to people. I think that's the area that's like really that that's like the area in all of the sport that has really just been neglected completely. There isn't no one is displaying anything that's no one's showcasing a captivating story about weightlifting. Well, and to to double down on this point, if you watch professional diving, it's like inherently interesting, but none of us have ever dove like that. Right. right. None of us have ever figure skated. But like a lot of people watch it. Yeah. So there's something about it and in the way it's marketed, but no one watches weightlifting really who's never done it. Yeah. Like I doubt there are as many people watching weightlifting who have never weightlifted. Yeah. So it's like, how do we convert people who will never do it, but have a deep, deep interest in it? Just like I'll never drive a Formula One car or never, you know, play uh, badminton or beach volleyball or whatever it is. So like, I think you have to be able to appeal to the masses and that's where like what Max is saying, you have to find the stories, the people, the rivalries and really exploit those. What I think is interesting too is like Max, you've coached a bunch of American record holders. There's not a ton of sports where the mom of three is training next to the American record holder. Like you don't go and train with an NFL football team if you like to play flag football with your buddies. So, so that part, is, <laughs> yeah. that part is interesting. I think like you get to, I mean, you can go to a certain gym and train next to an Olympian and you're doing the exact same thing as them. That's something that I think can appeal to the general pop. And that's CrossFit too, right? A lot of people probably trained and worked out in classes with games champions, you know, games winners. Like, so I think that's the same, like you look how popular CrossFit was and, you know, to some degree still is obviously like, that's the same thing as people can look at it and relate to it and understand what it feels like to do those workouts or what it feels like to do those things. Just like in weightlifting, you can watch somebody, you know, you, you think about what you do when you're approaching a big lift and you can feel that coming off of those people. Right. You can also see it when somebody does something and you're just like, Oh, that person, you know, person was going to make that no matter what they just, you could see it in their eyes. 
Um, yeah, so I think like that is a cool aspect that like the people watching it have participated potentially alongside the people at the top. Well, and think about it too. You can get programming from Max Ada, who has coached American record holders. You couldn't get a playbook from Bill Belichick. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, can you can I buy a playbook for my team? But you can get the same right. program that Max wrote for Shakaja or someone else who is snatched, you know, more than most men will ever snatch. Yeah, that's interesting. Max, I feel like um, I would kick myself if I didn't ask you this, but squatting every day, I read 13 years straight. Is that literally every single day for 13 years? Yeah, I mean, usually I would take, sometimes I take Sundays off, you know, but I would do something pretty much every day. Well, you can't write a squat most days yeah. book. Yeah, the title is as good, but not every single day. Um, you know, it would fluctuate too. I mean, obviously there was days I missed, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but there was a stretch there training with my coach as a weightlifter was every single day for sure, for at least six years. And then beyond that, just squatting every day, you know, basically every single day, Sundays we were trained sometimes, you know, like the odd day here and there, you just wouldn't do anything. We didn't feel like, not if you didn't feel like it was, there's some thing that got in the way, like I was traveling or something. Um, but yeah. Did you ever question, like, is this going to work or is this working? <laughs> many times, many times. When I was a lifter, this was a good example of where content and like just the internet and the accessibility of it really made a difference. Like when I trained, like I had, there was a coach in Montana who was 60 miles away and I would drive there and train with him every day. And like the internet existed and books were out there, but like none of it was curated in a way that like, made me think oh this is i should do this thing because it's a lot better right even even like catalyst right who has a huge library of stuff it wasn't curated in a way that was like start here do step one do step two do step three right it's like a lot of information but it's just kind of presented as like a library right and so there was no like direct line or course of action from somebody who was unsure what to do and like, okay, this is step one. You go all the way through this. Here's how you become a good weightlifter. But I have, a, I have a question. So you had one source of information for weightlifting and you had to drive 60 miles every every session. Do you think that helped you stay in the sport and stay committed to one process of getting better versus having, you know, you have Catalyst, Cal Strength, you have like what we put out, you have so many different sources of, of weightlifting content that people just tend to jump around because they're either unsure or they're looking for something different because there are so many options. I think the difference is back then, I mean, there was other information. Like I had books, I had, I knew of stuff. There was forums like, but it wasn't in a way that was convincing. Right. right. So now the difference is that, you know, ourselves included, like everything someone's giving you, they're selling you. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean they're selling you for to try and make money, but like they have people are writing things in, in an attempt to get something from you. Right. Right. Or presenting something, whether it's your attention, whether it's your, you know, your, your, uh, your money, whether it's, you know, recruiting you, like there's a, there's something behind that. No one would just simply populate the world with a bunch of this stuff because they had nothing else to do. Right. They're just some independently wealthy person. So I think now it just kind of creates a thing where like, like before training programs would pop up and exist and they would just be like showcased, like, Hey, here's a training program I got from somebody. This is what they did. Yeah. And it was just like a recipe. This is my grandma's meatloaf recipe. <laughs> and people would, you know, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to try that. Now it's like, Hey, here's a program. Here's why it's good. Here's what you, you know, it's, it's, it's being sold to us. Right. Which I think 
is not wrong, but it's the kind of thing that def definitely creates that sort of like, you know, how you sell things to people is like yeah. so doubt in their mind about what they're currently doing and blah, 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 right? And so like that kind of just becomes this pervasive methodology for presentation of material now is that a lot of it is directed at yeah. like, yeah, try this program, it's better, try that or learn from us, you know? Um, yeah. With that being said, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so now sell us uh, on yeah, weightlifting. Sell us on weightlifting AI now. Yeah, yeah, the two week trial. Um, <laughs> no, but but I think it's just like the nature of like, I think that's a good thing. I, I definitely would rather it was this way than the other way. The reason it's better is because when you generate more money in the sport, you, yeah. you, you improve the sport hands down. If there's no money in the sport, the sport will just shrivel up and die, right? Yeah. Like it's better to have more and more money coming in and, and grow the sport larger and larger and get a bigger fan base and get a bigger sport in general because that helps everybody out in the long run. So I, I think it's the right way. It's just that's going to create that sort of environment where people probably jump around from things more often. Yeah. I mean, I think as far as weightlifting goes, if you actually compete in the sport, you know that you know there there's always going to be a better program there but like how how important is the program that you believe in that's going to be where you're going to make the most progress not necessarily hey follow west kitts's program because you know dave is the best and he's an olympian you can follow that but if you i mean if you if you have a coach who coaches three different people but you actually trust him and you're like, yeah, this is the best program for me right now. You're going to probably do better on that one than on West Kitts program. Yeah. I think the best program is the one that's iterated on, right? So like do something and then you iterate on it and that's the best one. And then the, the iteration on, on that one's the best one because I, I've talked to Max about this before and he has a similar story, but I coach, um, Danny Meyer, she's a, she's a power lifter, she's seventh in the nation, and she's really, really fucking strong. And um, I've written a training block, it was like 13 or 14 weeks that I've used, you know, two, three times now, almost the exact same numbers, reps, average intensity, etc. exercise selection, all that. And she's made tremendous progress. And I'm not going to change it, because we've iterated to a point of finding something that really, really works and is effective for where she's at. And if you can do that, like that's the best program. Yeah. Once she's bought in, she's making great progress and like our relationship's awesome. Um, but that wasn't the first one because it was like flashy and had the bells and whistles. It was the one that was constantly you know, iterated. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. Like the best, like your, everyone's training will eventually start to look very similar. Like we watch like world champions, European champions, like they all train very similarly. Like there's not much outside of snatch clean jerks squats and pulls and stuff you can do that's really dramatically going to have an impact on your results and so like to a large degree most programs end up looking very similar it's just that the you know the approach to get there and the way that people get there through revision and iteration are the things that actually like get them to those levels right there's definitely bad programs yeah. like i think there's there's two schools of thought one is that, like the program doesn't matter very much and it's all the environment and the teammates and the coaching. And then the other is that the program is solely responsible. Um, I mean, I had a program that was terrible. Like I, I spent 10 times as much energy as I needed to, to get as strong as I did and ended up getting basically injured out of the sport. Right. So that's a good example of a bad program, but a fantastic energy and, and yeah. training environment and great coaching. Um, 
the other side is that like you know there's programs that are just like they're just not fit well you know or or like they're great sorry they're great for a person they they fit them perfectly but there's no substance behind it no one is pushing them no one is doing anything yeah. to drive them to maximize the program so i think like ultimately it's all the same thing right there's like good training and bad training really good training is when you have a great program that is exemplifies all the things it needs to to get you better you know the right exercise choices and intensities and all this, all this stuff is really really well suited to you and you have the right environment to capitalize on what that program can do for you if you if you follow it right outside of that when you move away from that you just get worse and worse training right a lesser good program more energy you know better program or same program but less you know less energy like it just does none of it pans out yeah, and I think people take a lot for granted when they say the program doesn't matter. It's like, okay, well, don't snatch, don't clean, don't jerk, don't squat, sure. and then see how that program pans out. Yeah. It's like, well, you have to do that. It's like, okay, so the program does matter, how much you weight it, and and like how tightly, you know, compared to like the perfect program it is, you know, that's the difference. It's But it's not that it doesn't matter at all. It's like the yeah. small differences, the marginal changes don't matter as much. Yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, weightlifting is supposed to be fun for – 99% of the people who do it like right. like most people who join the weightlifting AI app are probably not going to win nationals or go to world championships but I mean training's fun maxing out your snatch and clean and jerk is fun and getting better like how how many people stay in the sport who just don't make any progress you're eventually just going to be like well you know what fuck this I'm not going to do the same movements <laughs> again and not get better at them but if you're on a good program and and can actually progress then it stays fun. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I think something that too changes enough over time so that it just doesn't feel like stale. You know, I'm not like just doing the exact same thing with the exact same weights again, but maybe it's like a no hook instead of a, you know, normal grip or it's like a no foot. It's like those small changes for people who love weightlifting make it really fun. Yeah. So how much variation is there in the program where it's like, hey, I do like doing this movement. Are we going to keep doing that repeatedly? Is is there a way to to enter in the exercises manually or like kind of walk us through how the app works? The the current version of the app, the, the next feature is coming is like an exercise swapping feature that allows you to basically choose whatever exercise you want to do. So the program builds a program based on, you know, the data we have for a lifter, right? So you enter in the information you have, you, whether you know it or don't know it, we basically use that to gauge what would be the best choices of exercises for you that would probably give you the most exposure to the technical areas you probably have the biggest weaknesses in. And then as you train, as you execute those training, you rate your sets using like a, like white lights and red lights that basically give us, give us an idea as to like, okay, you know, was this was are these sets going well technically are they not are you feeling strong not strong um and then from that we basically make changes the ai makes changes to exercise choices for the next training blocks um, it might even make choices that are changed like within the week so if you make some like pr power clean let's, let's say you enter in that you have a really low power clean the ai is going to give you a bunch of power cleans because it thinks that's possibly low-hanging fruit to improve your results because of that, let's say you then PR your power clean within the first couple of weeks, and the AI is like, oh, actually, you're really good at power cleans. You're not going to get any of those, or you're going to get way less of those. So it might change an exercise later in the week to just 
remove that so it's not wasting more time doing the same thing mm-hmm. you're good at. That process is the same process a coach uses, right? Okay, tell me what your lifts are. Get an idea of what you've done, right? Then start programming around that to sort of capitalize on where they think your weaknesses are. As a coach, we would look at you and be like, oh, I think you're weak in this position or that position by watching your technique. Uh, The AI doesn't have computer vision yet. And so it's in a position where we try to infer as much as we can based on the data we have. And as we collect more data, we'll get more and more accurate in our decision-making process because we'll eventually start to find more, you know, more correlated things between, you know, different variables, right? Hopefully we do. Um, And so, you know, you end up in a position where you're basically selecting the best choices, testing those choices against the athlete, and then re, you know, reevaluating those choices. Were those the right things? Did we get a positive result or not? Uh, And then, you know, as far as the features the app has for users, there'll be the ability to swap exercises. So if you want to just do no hook, no feet, instead of do hang snatch, you can do that. You can swap it to whatever you want and then train with those exercises if you'd like, uh, as well as like, you know, basically customizing the, the, the training itself to where you can select the number of days you want to train five days, three days, one day, you know, you can self-select that. You can change that week to week. So you could like, you know, if you got a wedding to go to, you know, I'm gonna train five days and next week, you know, you just need to train three. You can just swap it to three for a week and then switch back to five after that. And the system basically, the heavy lifting the system really does is in the math and the calculations for volume, intensity, and calculating those kind of things on a level that makes it easy to manipulate and change without you having to spend a lot of time figuring out exactly where to put that volume or what to do with it. And so the system will just basically move around you know, and make adjustments to that really easily. And then again, like the tracking of the app and the data will give us answers as to what's best for you as far as exercises go. So to answer your question, yeah, though there's the features we're working on currently are to allow people to choose exercises they want, whatever they want. Uh, and then the system will use those and, and implement them. That's super interesting. It must be, I, I was just thinking like how hard it is to create an app like that. Like, <laughs> it, are you guys using a developer or like, how hands-on has it been? Yeah, I mean, I have a partner who's done all the engineering, and it's just me and him. And I've, I think, I think it's a challenge because you have to have a really good systematic under, like a, a very deep understanding of your system of training to build something like that, right? Because you have to understand like the ramifications of every decision you make. Mm-hmm. You have to understand why you make decisions like you do. I don't think a lot of coaches like I don't think a lot of coaches do that because there's no need, right? Their their goal is to look forward and make the right choice and hopefully that's good then they just make that choice again. What you have to do in designing something like this is understand why you make those choices because if you understand the mechanism underneath that choice you can actually exploit it and build something that can use that same mechanism to build programs for everybody. Right. So the reality is the system builds programs that are equally good for every, everyone along the spectrum of training. Right. And, and, you know, the goal is to say, okay, why do I make this decision? Why do I do this exercise? Right. We can sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm doing this because I think it'll do X, Y, and Z for the lifter, but that's really no better than 
that's just kind of a, a guess, right? But if you say, okay, why should we do sets of three or sets of four or this much volume? Like, where does that decision come from? It just feels like the right choice? Or is there like some underlying principles you can actually draw from and say, yeah, this is right because X, Y, and Z variables tell me this is right. And it coincides with the principles of, of training. So you guys are basically just putting yourselves out of jobs. That's the goal. <laughs> so the, the idea, like, well, ultimately the idea and the thing that is really cool about swapping exercises, like major exercises, so clean and jerk to, uh, you know, hand clean and jerk, is that it gives the coach, it empowers the coach to use the platform to then yeah. write programs more effectively where they can say, here are the exercises we want, here's the frequency, here are the number of days, here's the competition uh, schedule. And then the system can manifest that in a way that's like unique and adaptable to the the month, the week, the day, the session. Um, and then it's just like streamlined. So you don't have to format spreadsheets. You don't have to go on Google Doc. You don't have to go in and out. Like the 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 thing that I like least is having to reformat spreadsheets to less training days or more training days or someone didn't put all all the data in from a training session. So like you you lose a lot of uh, time and then you lose a lot of information. And to be honest, I can't even process most of the data I get from athletes because when you have 20, 30, 40, 50 people and you try and process that data and draw tight relationships, it's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. So the idea is to help coaches um, more effectively coach, not just like, spend all our time programming and thinking about programming. Yeah. Ultimately we're there's the plans are to build out like the coaching platform side of it. So coaches can use the app to build, to, to use, to do their own coaching. Um, and we're not sure exactly how that looks right now. We've been really investigating a lot of like what that looks like from a market standpoint, what people yeah. feel is necessary. Um, but the ultimate goal is basically like all of the making you could do that you do as a coach because it's time consuming or it's tedious or it's like, is it really going to make a big difference? Um, it can be done. So you don't have to have that. Like yeah. you should program from two levels, the really, really high level, like, like looking at a, a program from a whole training cycle or a whole year of training to say, okay, this is where this person should be with the amount of different distributions of work. Like they should do a lot of strength work and peak here and this and that. And that's very easy all big picture you're looking at like how how the big components move and then the really really short like picture is like day to day mm -hmm. what are the exercises for these days what should this person be doing but everything in between there is like this medium time frame that's you know that can be basically accomplished with the 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 ai building out these these programs because saying hey here's what i want them to do here's how long the program's going to be here's the big components build the rest of it, fill in yeah. everything else. And it would do that. And then, you know, the, the other goal is to have it be like a, a system that basically fits in between the athlete and coach where athletes interact with the program, the program, the software itself interacts with the athletes, sending them information about their training and what they should do, or, you know, coaching advice and cues and, you know, content we've curated and made. And then the other side is that the coach interacts with the app as well looking at the same kind of information but maybe you know making decisions based on that data right if the app is saying hey this person's missing lots of stuff yeah you know maybe the, you know you can maybe say hey, maybe it's not a good exercise so the goal is to have this like yeah 
this basically platform that solves a lot of the tediousness of coaching from the perspective, from my perspective, the benefit of this is that we can bring more inexperienced coaches into the sport and they can basically hit the ground running with much better tools than, than I had when I started or than a lot of people have when they started. And you're not piecing together tons of little content from everywhere to sort of create your own base of knowledge and, and stuff. Not to say that's not good, but it's like, it'd be great to like, you know, you do a USAW cert and you walk away from that. Like you're not a good coach. <laughs> you're not going to write great programs. Yeah. And you're not going to coach anyone well after that. It's yeah. a two day thing. Yeah. Um, but this would be like, Hey, now you have very powerful tools that can not only, you know, guarantee that your pro- programming and coaching is going to be more successful, but also help guide you as a coach to learn Oh, I understand why the system is building programs like this and it can educate me as well as a coach. So, yeah, I think when I got in, I was like writing, you know, pen play programs or, you know, you write a catalyst program. So we get people away from the methods and the, the names and we get people working towards like just a deeper understanding of like, okay, what are, what are the principles of training? How do they manifest themselves? Why do they look like that? And then you can write a program from anyone. Yeah. You're not just recycling the Texas method yeah. and saying, well, we'll do eight sets of three instead of five sets of five. Yeah. And I mean, having that data is like, you have to look at it and be, say, did this work or did this not with the, with the spreadsheet method, you can go months and be like, oh shit, that didn't work. Like now we, we basically lost three months of an entire cycle doing an exercise that we didn't need to do. So yeah, I think that'll be really helpful. Yeah, the other thing too is we have the capacity with more users to draw conclusions before you waste your time, right? It's like if you're a lifter who's, you know, got a 200 kilo total and you're 71 kilos and you're this age and you're, you know, this tall, we have data on those lifters. Like we have data on those athletes and how they perform with different volumes and intensities and these things, right? And and that's where it becomes very valuable in that like very quickly, right off the bat, you start writing better programs, the system will, because it has large amounts of data to draw from across varied users. And we have a lot of the variables, all the variables we really want to, to track and calculate, we will. So it's like, not only do you write a better program for the person you're writing it for, but people like that person give you information as to what's going to be good for right. that person. How do you recommend, so like the program will be on point. How do you recommend people get the environment on point who might've been training with a team or, you know, going to their garage? How do you create that, that good environment that also leads to the results instead of just being like, oh, this is the best program, but maybe you're not in the best environment anymore. We just loop like old Donnie Shankle videos. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's ultimately a, a byproduct of like, if we can get it to be something that coaches use in gyms, yeah, it, it's software in that regard from the coaching platform perspective. From the user, like just a user just doing the programming, you know, they would probably want to find, you know, depending on the person they are, want to find the right, you know, environment for themselves, right? Like we can't necessarily provide that if if they're in their garage. But from a coaching in the gym perspective, the goal is to, you know, make this something that fits in there without getting in the way so that you can really incorporate that kind of environment. A lot of times, like the way we've used it in the gym currently with people is, 
you know, they'll do a lift and then maybe ask us what we think the rating is. Like, oh, I would say that's, you know, that's two whites, one red, like that looked rough. And you have a guidance there to use a, a common glossary. So you're saying the same words. They understand what two whites means versus me saying that looked okay. <laughs> and then they have to decide what they should do, right? Uh, and that's a way to use it where the coach is interacting directly with them. They're still in charge. They're interacting with the app as well. And you get, you know, a, a, you, you don't get in the way of having an exciting environment that way. Yeah, I guess you can you can never run the coach out of the sport. Like always having an in-person coach is going to be a good idea. But yeah, how can you get into the hands of those people? Yeah, the goal is never... The goal is never in any of this stuff to move, to take anyone else's job or remove anyone from the sport. Like the reality is it's like, if you're sitting there exhausted from writing programs for athletes and you decide like, I could just do a different job and make the same money. Like that's a, that's a more detrimental than like, oh, hey, there's software I have to pay some money to use and I can become, I can enjoy coaching, right? I can focus on the actual part of coaching that's fun, which is being in the gym yelling at people right um you know treating them poorly but like it's it's like generally like that's the the goal is to make that better whereas like a lot of coaches don't want to be spreadsheet wizards like this is not yeah. i don't i've never had any interest in that coaching to me is like i love the numbers and i love all of the stuff involved but i love that from a perspective of it's enjoyable to me to know that stuff and figure things out what i love is like being in the back room and coaching at meets and like fighting with people and pushing people and watching day to day and making little adjustments and, you know, tweaks versus like sitting there on Sunday night, writing God knows how many programs, <laughs> you know, like, so I think the goal is like bring more people in because the job is, you know, can be done with technology that makes it easier. Yeah. I don't think anyone has ever gotten into the sport because they think I can't wait to program on Saturday night, but I hate going to the gym yeah. on Monday morning. It's usually like, I love going to the gym and coaching and seeing people carry out their training. And then you just happen to have to program yeah. um, on on the weekends or whenever you do it. So I think, again, a lot of people like us, they get into the sport because they see it, they become involved with it. And then programming is a part of it. Usually never the inverse where you read Bob Takano's book and you're like, I need to know how to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess I'll just interact with people and I have to put up with them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where can people go if they want to sign up for the app? Uh, just go to wavethink.ai. And you can use code two-week trial for a free two weeks. You can, you know, a lot of people at least go on and check it out, play around with it, yeah. you know, maybe do a week of training, get a program, uh, go to the community, check out the content we're putting up in there. We're doing Q&As, uh, videos about technique, stuff like that. So there's a lot of interaction and, and back and forth there too. Well, that's awesome. I think I think it'll be interesting. It'll be cool to watch the progression of where you guys take this. Yeah, it'd be fun to do another podcast in a year and see where it's at. Yeah, yeah, for Maybe sure. I'll we'll be living in a cardboard box. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, th well, thanks for coming on, and we'll definitely uh, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah.